hey, we want to welcome you to today's Starfish in the Church podcast. Uh, I don't think we could be more excited. I know that uh, that Rob couldn't be more excited. We've got yes. him. It's Christmas. It's he Christmas just, morning. He's fanboy <laughs> geeking out today like I've never seen him before. And that says a lot, let me tell you. It's true. <laughs> so, but really, we, we, we are very excited today. We've got Greg Boyd, uh, who is the founder and senior pastor of Woodland Hills Church in the Twin Cities. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about having Greg with us, uh, I was, I was reflecting on this. Uh, we recently, uh, lost Eugene Peterson, you know, one of the, one of the great theologians of, of our time. And, uh, man, I put Greg right up there. Uh, Greg is one of the voices that we have with us in our generation that has been such a blessing, continues to be a blessing. He challenges us. He uh, holds the word of God dearly, and and uh, he's just he's just one of the one of the one of the tops to me. Uh, so we're blessed. Uh, Greg holds a PhD from Princeton Seminary. Uh, he's a show off. We could spend the rest of the day talking about how many books he's written. So we can't even name all the books, but I know some of the most recent ones: Crucifixion of the Warrior God and, and Cross Vision. And uh, we're excited to have Greg with us. Um, Thanks, Bob, that, that, that was over the top. Um, well, wait, wait. I, Greg, I, I haven't I even know, started I yet. I know Eugene Peterson. Okay, I just got to get that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, I know we're embarrassing, Greg. Uh, Rob, tell me. My head's falling over. <laughs> Rob, would you, for, for maybe some of the first-time listeners, would you uh, share with the listeners kind of the metaphor and, and what the Starfish in the Church podcast is all about? You bet. Uh, so in 2008 – I was getting on a plane to fly to India and I had the privilege of being a part of a grassroots movement there that was going viral in terms of church plants. And I uh, got this copy of a book that just had come out uh, by Ori Broffman. And as I read it on the way to India, it unlocked for me a lot of what was happening on the ground in terms of leadership. And the metaphor is primarily this, you have a starfish and a spider and from an outside perspective from a distance, they actually look kind of similar, but internally they're completely different. And so a spider is, uh, if you chop off the head of a spider, the spider's done. Uh, but if you chop off the arm of a starfish, the starfish reproduces, you've got two. And that's because the starfish is actually a decentralized network and inside of every cell is everything needed to reproduce. And Ori is, uh, you know, he's, uh, a professor at Berkeley. Um, you wouldn't say that he would fly his flag as a follower of Jesus, but he, he would tell you historically, if you look, Jesus is really the origin of this kind of uh, servant-based, empowering, equipping, uh, non-coercive, decentralized kind of leadership. And the early church is, it stands out in history as the best example of it. But over 1,700 years of Christendom, um, when the bishops shook hands with Rome, they started to rebuild the church in the image of Rome, and it became more and more hierarchical. And so now a lot of churches operate like pyramids with a few at the top and a whole bunch of people underneath supporting the few, whereas the Jesus movement is about uh, circles, open circles, reproducing circles. And so this podcast is about rediscovering that. And that's why I'm so excited to actually have Greg today. Uh, Greg, for me, in my journey over the last decade, you've been I've been one of your podrishioners. Uh, you've been 
one of my pastors from afar. Uh, I've digested, uh, I think, all of your books except for one. I've passed them on to my children. Um, you helped me through a very difficult time of sort of deconstruction and helped me rediscover again um, the beauty and the power and the authority of Scripture in a new way. Um, and I also think your particular theological angle is the one that I feel like best funds the kind of leadership we're talking about. So welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks a lot. It's, it's an honor to be here. Appreciate it. And thanks for all those nice words. Hey, I can I ask a question uh, before we get started uh, with, with the starfish analogy? So if a starfish gets a leg cut off, now I always just thought it grew back, but the way you said it, it, it that that leg becomes another starfish? Yeah, you actually end up with two complete starfish. Yeah. So it's a, a pretty amazing metaphor for both. For example, it, Jesus said, go make disciples. What's implicit in that is every disciple needs to be a disciple who can make a disciple. Like reproductive, uh, yeah. repro re reproductivity is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's really fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's every day. <laughs> hey, we taught Greg Boyd something today. Hello. There you go. Man, we're wicked smart. <laughs> So let's let's start hearing from Greg. That's why people are on here today. They they, they want to hear from Greg. So uh, uh, Rob, drop drop the puck on a couple of things that we talked about earlier that uh, we feel like Greg will just be able to run with. Yeah, Greg. Usually we we tee off our conversation. Uh, we're trying to create a safe space where it's okay to recognize that uh, a lot of people, like millions of people, because of the prevailing model of leadership in the church, have experienced genuine hurt woundedness they have felt oppressed not liberated so uh we usually ask leaders if they would consider either sharing a story of where uh they maybe went sideways in their own leadership or maybe there's a time in your life where it felt like the leadership paradigm in the church was um oppressing you so we'll just tee it up wow what do you think easy no, I, question I, to start with it, it is easy uh but it's also difficult because i could I'm trying to think here. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember a time being in church, and I, I went to Catholic school. You know, was raised in that whole thing. Uh, then lost my faith, and then came back to Christ. But I can't remember any time uh, prior to uh, you know my starting uh, with the Hills where I didn't feel there's some some kind of oppression going on in in the church. It was just a constant. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you accept that as normal. That's just the way it's supposed to be. But it can be catastrophic. So this is one example of a, I was a associate pastor at this church. And, uh, well, I was so what do you like, are you in your early twenties or something? Is this yeah, your yeah, first gig? I, I, yeah. Early twenties, 23, 24. And it, this was my first gig. And so I was in seminary, but I was this time as, as a part-time pastor, but then the pastor left. And as soon as he left, uh, it became really clear that this church was deep, had this deep division that goes back like 50 years between two families and, and they're always recruiting allies, and they're always trying to get control of the board. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and it was the sheer charisma of a former pastor that kept a lid on this, although it would pop out, but I didn't know anything about those pop-outs. When they left, everything explodes because now they're looking to, to try to manipulate me to be on their side, and it was just crazy. And it finally uh, got brought a person in who got in on one vote, and um, uh, it, it was – it immediately took uh, the started restructuring the board. He got rid of the first board to get on the board that would be his allies. And they started abusing power, manipulating things, and funds began to disappear and all this stuff. And, and um, the, the sad thing was that 
the, the, he wasn't breaking any of the, the official church rules and doing it, kind of manipulating around it. And so you couldn't do anything about it. And then I had to report him to this, this the hierarchy and this particular domination. And it's got more corrupt because they all, oh, I, I don't know how much details to get in here, but there's, there's a lot for this domination to lose if they, uh, this church decided to go with this pastor, even though I exposed the stuff. Mm -hmm. and they had this vote on it. And the vote didn't go the way the, dis the district wanted it. And so then they reversed the charges uh, against him and then pressed him against me for behavior that was not becoming of a yeah. pastor by bringing charges like this. And it was wow. like, oh, that was the moment in my life when I most wanted to quit the church. It's like, Lord, I love you, but I don't want anything to do with this circus. Mm. It wow. was. So, yeah. Greg, where did it go from there? So formal charges are filed against you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was exonerated of everything. Uh, and they finally did, uh, and then they had to bring charges against the, the uh, one particular leader who had uh, rescinded, had, had to, actually had encouraged me to send this out, but then turned uh, as a charge against me uh, once the district, it didn't go the way the district wanted. And um, yeah, so it, it was mayhem. It eventually settled. I, I, I uh, left the church immediately after filing the charges because I knew that, you know, I was done. And my wife was eight, eight months pregnant at the time, so this wasn't very convenient. And <laughs> I'm going to seminary. <laughs> this is not the way you should do seminary. Uh, no but uh, uh, yeah, so I ended up leaving, uh, and um, he, he held on to the church and the power. Uh, and you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that's that story right there is just not uncommon. I mean, so many stories know, with you know, know. a few little variables. Yeah, I know. It's it's just over and over and over and over. We see it, and. Yeah. Sometimes we usually, you know, it's there all the time. It's just, it, it, it's, it's only when it breaks that we really can, you know, draw attention to it. But exactly. Yeah, it's pervasive. It's pervasive. Yeah, that's, so it's about culture. That culture exists and occasionally a crisis makes it burst up to the surface and then you have headline stories of pastors falling, uh, yeah. which unfortunately happens on a regular basis. So let's jump forward a little bit further in your story. You end up starting a new church. Um, and you're of course now creating a new culture in that right, church, right, right. you know? So what were the ideas? What were the foundational scriptures? What were the values that you were intentionally trying to bake into the culture that would create a different, um, form of leadership or ethos for leadership? Okay. I've got to be honest with you here. Um, I, I would like to answer your question in the affirmative saying, Oh, it was these scriptures that led me into this plurality of leadership. <laughs> God moved on me in mighty ways. And I'm afraid that's not, I didn't know anything about anything when we started this church. In fact, I resisted the idea of starting a church. The superintendent wanted me to, I had been filling in the pulpits and that had gone pretty well. So he said, let's just you know, plant you in one place and, and uh, build a church around you. And um, I didn't want that. Because I don't, I didn't want to. I have one virtue, and that is knowing what I'm not good at, and mm. most things I'm not good at, and I don't like to do things <laughs> I'm not good at. And so, so because you can spend, I can spend 90 percent of my energy doing something I'm not good at and get a 25 percent result, mm. or you know, do 25 percent of energy in something I'm really good at and I get a 100 percent result. So, uh, I, I from the start, they, they got me to agree to doing this by having another person who's supposed to run the whole church. And, and so um, I, I finally agreed to that. So he would he'd run the whole church. Well, that didn't work out very well because whoever's 
whoever's the speaker, everyone identifies as the leader. Mm -hmm. This person's yeah. turning on all the work, and so they're getting kind of envious and jealous, and it just did not work. So when that person left, here I am, and I don't want to run this thing. I have no, I don't, I hate finances. I hate, I'm no good at finances or budgets or organizations or anything. Ask anybody. I don't have an organizational brain cell. Uh, so, but we had the people who started filling the gap, just stepping up. And, and uh, a lot of times they would start doing it as just volunteer or working with other volunteers. And then we'd say, hey, we, we need this person to be doing this full, full time. And, and, and so we, we, by default, ended up with a plural leadership and then began to discover just how biblical that is. <laughs> wow. And, and we discovered how biblical it is because we discovered how difficult it is. Mm. And, and, and so every, we'd have a lot of discussions about this, like, you know, what are, how does this operate? You know, and, and, uh, and there'd be lines of confusion. And it's so, yeah, it's, it's, so we've had a, it, we had to like search the scriptures uh, to decide what, what is the biblical model on these things. We came up with plural leadership. I love what you just said there, Greg, about it being difficult. And, you know, I've, I've run into this a lot in talking with leaders about the possibilities of, of more of a plural flattened leadership. And, you know, a lot of people just dismiss it by saying, oh, that won't work. Uh, I think you really pinpointed a big part of it. it. The fact is, it's a lot more work than just anointing a king and saying, this guy, the buck stops here. Right. right. right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, when, when, you, when you structure a church in that hierarchical way, uh, the more it's structured like that, it self-selects the kind of people who will aspire to that. And uh, mm. it, the people who run the you know, billion-dollar Fortune 500 companies, they're very, very rare uh, because they've got to be so motivated and so sold out and so gifted um, mm -hmm. and workaholics. And, right. and the CEO, you know, type A male, and uh, on the whole, that's what it favors. And so you get the same thing in church. And, and so it's, the church becomes, a, you help me carry out my vision for my life. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see myself as a mega church, you know, and they will never say that all probably, but sure. that, that's driving a lot of it. And that's what you, you get what you, what you ask for. So if you're going to structure like that, you get the certain kind Absolutely. of lead, state charge control, all that. Yeah. So much. You know, Greg, one of the things that uh, you've written about that I think speaks to this directly, you talk about the difference between uh, power over and power under. Um, and how God uses his power um, in ways that are non-coercive. And I think that is fundamental uh, to, this, to this type of leadership that we're striving for, the starfish leadership. So can you unpack what you mean by that and where, and where you find that foundation in the scripture? Because a lot of people look and say, well, the God I see in the Bible is very hierarchical. It is absolutely top-down. It is command and control. So... Isn't that what the church should look like? Uh-huh. Good. Very good question. Um, and I have how much time here? <laughs> Go for it. We're in no hurry. Can... It's like, hey, if it's, uh, if it's boring, we'll just edit it out. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just shut me up. You know, just, okay, that's not for Greg right now. No, I, I, this, is, this is foundational to everything. I, one of the most shocking things ever in the Bible is found in a verse that has gotten too little attention. And it's when Paul says, that the cross, while it's foolishness and weakness to the world, um, to we who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. Hmm. So the cross is the power of God. And, you know, one of the ways that you know that that is a divine revelation is because we, we know what it looks like when human beings 
make God in our own image. We've got a whole history of that. And we always ascribe to them, always have, still do, ascribe to them the kind of power that we would want to have if we were God. That's the power to defeat your enemies and to impose your will on others and to get your way, right? And so in a lot of theologies, God is simply the mega, I get my way. And, and <laughs> everybody just follows his will deterministically and, and so on and so forth. But for Paul, I mean, here comes a guy against the whole history of religion that, where we see the kind of power we ascribe to God. Here Paul says that the cross, the cross is the power of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so God, his power is his self-sacrificial love. He, he uses this, his other-oriented love. Um, and the lure of that, the beauty of that is his power. He doesn't just come down and give us all the lobotomies so we all believe in him. He tries to win our hearts. And the, and the beauty of the cross is him winning our hearts. So God's love is a self-sacrificial, other-oriented, never-wavering, unsurpassable, perfect, cross-like kind of love. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, the Bible sums up the whole, whole gospel. But it says, uh, John says that God is love, First John 4, 8. And then he says, here's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. First uh, John 3, 16. He, so he defines love by pointing us to the cross. God is, to the core of God's essence, uh, cross-like love, uh, other-oriented, self-giving love. And so, you know, this is what leads God to become a human being. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he demonstrates this. In, in John 13, I just love this thing. Uh, John sets it up by saying that Jesus, knowing that he had come from God, and that all things had been put under his authority, wrapped a towel around his waist, mm-hmm. and began to wash the feet of his disciples, mm-hmm. whom he knew uh, were going to betray him and flee and, and you know, abandon him. Uh, yet he's, and one's going to deny him. And he's, he's washing their feet. And then he says to them, you know, I've given you an example, so go and do likewise. You know, this is how you are to relate to one another. So what do you do when you've got all the power in the universe? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the question that's being answered there. And, and we would think, I'll be Thor, I'll control all things. But Jesus puts a towel around his waist. Mm. And he assumes the role of a servant and washes the dirty, smelly feet mm. of the very disciples who he knows are going to uh, betray him. It's, it's, so that's the kind of God that we're... we're, we're if that's the kind of power that God relies on, then what kind of power should we rely on? Mm. And, and see, power, the kind of power that the world always craves after, after is power over others. Because mm-hmm. you think your ways are better, you're, you're smarter, or, or you care more than they do. And so you, you have to just win, right? And, mm. and, and the more you can win, the more power you've got, and the more you're esteemed and all that. It's power over, and we rely on that all the time. And there's cases in which it's appropriate. Like, like parents with children, for example, you know, where you need to say, okay, you have to limit the domain of their freedom for their, for their own good. But uh, um, the kind of power that defines the kingdom is, is power under. It's, mm-hmm. it's power to serve, uh, the power to, to sacrifice on behalf of another. That's what Jesus does for us. He shows us what we're worth by what he's willing to pay for us. And he's willing to pay everything. Mm-hmm. And so also we're to ascribe unsurpassable worth to others by how we interact with them and how we treat them. And, and, to, to always respect their personhood, which means you don't try to coerce stuff. Uh, so let, let me let me play de- devil's advocate. It's like, well, that's All a right, nice select. That's a nice. Uh, and I've already drunk the Kool Aid, so I'm just <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and just play along though. Um, so that's a nice selective reading of the Bible. Oh, uh, yeah, what about what, what what about when Jesus, let's say in the book of Revelation, he's coming on a white stallion, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, 
he's 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 even tatted. I mean, he's oh. going to come and every knee's going to bow, whether they like it or not. He's got a commitment. Every, someone bleed, as a famous preacher once said. <laughs> That's right. And they're going to confess, whether they want to or not, that Jesus is Lord. That sounds that sounds coercive, right? You are Lord. I mean, judgment is coercive. It's like, you know what? You're sheep, you're goats, and I'm sorting this out now. What good would a coerced confession of Jesus' lordship do? <laughs> it's like, what does that prove? Uh, it, 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 it have no meaning. Anyways, yeah, okay, look at So what's interesting, as you just said, is that Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. What kind of a sword is that? <laughs> Especially if you're going to take out armies. Uh, yeah, I get a sprained neck pretty quickly, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a picture of a Monty Python movie and Jesus exactly. is like, back and he's up there, huh? I can beat you with one shark. That's, that's right. It's, it's a flesh wound. flesh wound. But see, throughout the book of Revelation, that sword is the word of truth, it's the word of God and it slays lies. Uh, and and um, then he, he, he's, he, he's riding into the battle, but he's covered in blood. Revelation 19, it's covered in blood. And that's a common uh, uh, portrait you find in the literature of the time, and even going back, you find it in the Old Testament, uh, where Yahweh's depicted as this warrior, and, and he's returning from battle covered in blood. And being covered in blood was a badge of honor, because it meant that you slaughtered them, but they didn't slaughter you. And so it's a, a, a triumphant, kind of victorious thing. But So here Jesus has this blood all over him, but he hasn't gone into battle yet. What's up with mm -hmm. that? <laughs> And, and what John is communicating here is that, yeah, Jesus is a mighty warrior, uh, and he fights ferociously, but the way he fights ferociously is not by shedding anyone else's blood, but by mm -hmm. letting his own blood be shed. He's fighting with self-sacrificial love. And John, he uses graphically violent metaphors, but if you pay close attention, and I've got an essay on this on my uh, uh, website, uh, renew.org, uh, just do a little search on it, but, but he's... he's He's got all this violent imagery, but if you read it carefully, he subverts it all to reverse its meaning. So the, the, the mighty warrior is one not who kills, but rather who is willing to be killed for the sake of enemies. Yeah, the lamb that was slain. The, yeah, the, John hears that the, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the, the scroll. That's a mighty, ferocious, triumphant thing. But when he turns and looks, this is Revelations 5 now, what he sees is a slain lamb, slain mm. little lamb. And, and so he's all, he, Jesus fights with the ferocity of a lion, but the way he fights is by laying down his life like a little lamb. And it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I used to, honestly, I, when I first came to Christ, I was OD'd on Revelation, okay? So we knew who the Antichrist was. It was Henry Kissinger. <laughs> and we had it all plotted out, and, and it's going to happen by 1975, no later for sure. And I got so burned out on that. I, 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 I didn't like the book of Revelation up until maybe, I guess, 14, 15 years ago, when I first began to discover uh, these authors who were pointing this out, uh, uh, Richard Bachman is one of them, um, and, and this nonviolent reading, really the, the, everything in the book of Revelation is simply a display of the victory of the cross. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's all saying, the cross will be victorious. And saying that to, to these people, saying, keep on being followers of the Lamb. Um, yeah. The way you're victorious is that, that you don't cling to your life, even to the point of death. You just speak the word, and you bear testimony by the blood of the Lamb. Meaning, you, you imitate the Lamb, being willing to die. Wow, so, Greg, what what would you say are the most evident gaps between the way that Jesus leads and the way that leadership is carried out today? 
Well, I, I think the, the major way is that, um, and I hope this is changing. Some have argued that, that this is changing, uh, not only in the church, but in, in companies, that they're going more towards a, a plural leadership. But, but, but the, the major problem has been that, that uh, we entrust the king. We entrust the one person to be the, the architect for everything. So now everyone else's job is just to carry out that person's will. Uh, they're the only ones who really get to have a vision. And maybe they share portions of it with different people, but, but it's, it's uh, I'll interpret God for you. It's almost like the role of a high priest, you know? And, mm. and, um, and they, so then the, the people never get to use their gifts. You know, they're, they're just uh, the gophers for the, mm-hmm. uh, and, and see, it, what I, what's happening with, in the ministry of Jesus was nothing like that. In fact, he says explicitly, you know, that in the world, you know, and he says this right after the, uh, John's brother fighting over who gets to sit next to Jesus. And so they, he says, you know what? The pagans, Gentiles, they lord over one another. And the ones who are lording over them are the benefactors. But it will not be so in my kingdom. Here, the first will be last and the last will be first. And, and he just turns everything upside down. And, and, and so there's no role for any sort of authoritarian co- coercion um, in, in the body of Christ, as, as, I, as, I, as I see Jesus teaching. And, the, and he leads by serving. That's all he does, mm. he by serving. And then when you choose to follow him, he's got some good real instructions to give you, but it, you can walk away, and they, sometimes they do walk away. Um, and but Jesus has come and doing what, what Jesus does. And uh, he, he just models servant leadership throughout most clearly and most explicitly and most beautifully on the cross. So, so, Greg, I want to ask you, you know, you planted a church. Uh, it grew. It's a sizable, organized church. Yeah. And so what does that look like for you as a pastor of a large, organized church? What does self-sacrificial, cross-like mm-hmm. leadership look like? Give me maybe a couple of, of examples that it might look different than in another church where it still really is the hierarchical model. Um, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but I'm, I'm curious what, what that looks like for you. Well, at the, at the very least, it, it, it means that, that um, uh, uh, I, I want to be empowering others to do their gifts um, to, and to, to help them be plugged in to whatever ministry is going to best suit their gifts. Uh, it, it, and, and, and then when it comes to like making decisions on the church, it means that I, first of all, you invest the time that it takes to get to know people enough to, so you're not just doing a job together, but you're re- actually relating. Mm. Uh, that's one of the, the reason people go for the power over model is because it's so efficient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot quicker. It's a lot quicker. It's a lot quicker. But so you have to, you know, make a decision that you're going to shoot for kingdom quality over some numerical quantity, you know, that, that, you, that being faithful to the way of Jesus and how you lead is, is a high priority, higher than efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that is, can, I will tell you from experience as a person who likes efficiency, that has been an area that the Lord has had to use like sandpaper to grade that down. Because <laughs> uh, I have had to bite my tongue sometimes. But I, I want to, I get to know the person, know where they're gifted. They get to know me and where I'm gifted. And, and so you get to know the dynamics of this team. So that when decisions need to be made, we all have a say in this, but we kind of know we defer to this person. This is kind of where they're gifted. And, mm-hmm. But it's an organic thing. It's not like they now have the official title, therefore we must listen to them. It's mm-hmm. rather, it's, it, no, this, he's the natural person 
uh, to carry this task out along, along those lines. And uh, that's, yeah, that's just not the way that, that power over churches are structured at all. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very good. Let's say you were sitting across the table from a church planner and, uh, and they're asking you. I've heard that I am. Yeah, you are actually. There's probably a bunch of them listening right now. And they're asking, so where do I start, Greg? You're an old, grizzled, wizened Gandalf. What do I do? I'm a hobbit about to begin my journey. Oh, watch out for your precious. <laughs> Man, that's true. <laughs> oh, no, it absolutely is true. Absolutely is true. The enemy is brilliant at the leading you down ways that may seem good, but they're not God's will and just dangles a little precious. Okay, come mm-hmm. get this. So, um, I, you know, where do you start? I, I uh, man, that, that, that's like, well, you have to, if you're going to be a church planner, you better kind of know what you're doing. So attending some seminars, getting some education about that, uh, theological and practical. And, and, you know, so going to, uh, you know, the trouble is, you got to be careful where you go to get church planting because they can be giving you the carbon copy power over model and right. how you do it. So you have to find the organic uh, uh, church planners, uh, or better yet, be, get yourself plugged into a, a, a church, mm-hmm. a community, and 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 yeah, find you know, and they should all then be affirming your giftedness. Uh, that's another thing with with. Uh, uh, in the body of Christ, we don't. If you get together with this large group of people once a week, you never have any kind of communal discernment. There's there's no togetherness there. But here, every decision that's significant should be a shared decision. I invite you in on my life that if I'm going to make a major decision, career or otherwise, will you help discern this for me? Because we all we all got blind spots, and um, um, yeah. So it, it's uh, a very much of an empowering thing and a communal thing, and it's um, organic as opposed to the power over kind of thing. I, 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 I would encourage folks who are go, considering going to ministry, but I encourage folks on this all the time, and that is make sure, and this goes to your precious, make sure that your precious is Jesus. Mm-hmm. It really is Jesus. And by that I mean that Jesus has got to be the source of your sense of well-being, the source of your being worthwhile, the source of your feeling significant, and the source of your feeling secure about that. Because to the degree that Jesus isn't meeting that need, despite the fact that he loves you as you are, to the degree that that's not true, you're going to start getting it from some other source. And for pastors, the source is usually the congregation. Yeah, that's so it. Now, the congregation becomes a way of making the, the pastor feel good. And the pastor doesn't probably know they're doing this, but, but uh, the church is about them. Mm-hmm. And that's why... You know, look how many numbers I have. Look at our how offering our how high our our offering is. Look how big our church people is, and it becomes sort of a pissing contest. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. but they're still trying to hit a home run for dad in the bottom of the ninth and sixth grade when they struck out. You know, and mm-hmm. he lost. And 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 so you can't go into this wounded. You can't go into this empty. Well, I mean, we're all kind of wounded, but but knowing what your wounds are and and be seeking healing for them and and be getting all your life from Christ. Uh, uh, I think that that's profound. And it, particularly one of the things I think we can be unaware of as church leaders is that vocational ministry context. Um, it draws those of us who are broken and are desperately looking for affirmation. And there's actually in, in this kind of work, 
I, I heard a study recently like about uh, pastors, politicians, like other careers that are about platform mm-hmm. and crowds and, you know, ex- right, right, like right. It, it's like three times higher a rate in the population of actual clinical narcissism. Huh. Like where it, and it's actually, a, so yeah, you have like maybe yes. 30% of the pastors who actually have a clinical mental health issue with narcissism, you know, the, because- the, the, the pastor that I was referring to with my first example, I, I'm was certain belongs in that category. Mm. You know, it, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. And it would kind of attract, uh, folks along those lines. So it, you've got to anchor that in otherwise what you find is, and I, when, when we first started Woodland Hills, I found this, um, that when the attendance was growing, which it usually was, I felt happy, but mm-hmm. then it, it started shrinking or the offering started shrinking. Then I felt a little sad and it's like, well, that shouldn't be my criteria. And that's the Lord then uh, helped me along. I, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, I woke up to this passage where you know, Paul says, hey, one, one Paul's waters, one person mm-hmm. plants, one person waters, but God gives the increase. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's, okay, I got to let go of all the increase. Uh, that's on God, not me. And so I just mm-hmm. do what I'm supposed to do and leave all the other results to God. If you start owning that stuff, then you'll go up and down with, and believe me, when you plant a church, there's a lot of ups and downs. Well, let, let me ask you one other question um, in particular. So what would you recommend, uh, first of all, for a leader doing that kind of soul care? Is there a particular book that's been helpful to you? And then the second question is also on theological reflection in terms of this um, orientation of leadership. Um, what would be one of your books that you would recommend as the go-to? So first question uh, what would you recommend for a church leader in terms of uh, doing a, a gut check, basically, on their own identity, motives? And then number two, what's your, what book would you recommend from your library that would be a great place to start on this topic? Okay. Well, you know, there's an exercise that I do on a fairly regular basis that helps me do a gut check, as you call it. Um, and, and the exercise... I encourage all the listeners to do this on their own, uh, not to replicate what I do, but the Lord will lead you in your own unique way of doing this. But I see myself on this beach, and there's a river running alongside me to the right, and it's an autumn day, and there's the the leaves are all just so beautiful. And I'm aware that Jesus is over to my left, though I'm not. I don't make eye contact with with him initially. And then various things that are important to me in my life are symbolically brought before me. And, and, and the, or they just actually appear on the, the beach. Um, things that are valuable to me. And then there's a, a raft that is there, and I have to put this thing on the raft and then shove it off down the river. And mm-hmm. then I watch it go around the bend. And, and so it starts with my books, you know, and learning and stuff. That's very important to me. But, well, and then after each time I put it on the raft, I have to turn to Jesus, and that, that's when I say, you are enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, I then I took my health, and I was into sports at this t- earlier on in life. Uh, this is as much an issue now, but I I, I put that on, uh, send it down, and then at some point you, know, you get rid of all your possessions, and then at some point you have your your, your family mm-hmm. and friends, and that's when it gets tough. But you, I know I'm going to have to say goodbye to them one day, and this is kind of a rehearsal for that. Mm. But, but what, what it is, 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 and then I'm always returning to Jesus saying, you are enough. And it's not that those things aren't important to me. They are, but he, Christ has to be enough for me to be who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and the reason why I get out of bed and, and, you know, the thing that gives joy to my heart. And 
if that's not true, then you're going to have to get it from other sources. And we, that, that's what screws up. So well, then the it, only it's, thing it's, 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 it's a rehearsal for death really. Mm. Um, and cause that's what, when we die, everything will be, we have to say goodbye to everything. That's what mm -hmm. it means to die. And you naked will be before your Lord mm. and stripped of every you know, defense. And so, it's really good to rehearse that. That's so uh, good. You know, because I, I think the best way to live is to live as though you'd already died. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you can only do that out of a fullness that you're getting from Christ. That's mm -hmm. so true. Hey, oh, man, that's rich, man. Hey, the book question. I, um, you know, I am terrible when it comes to remembering books. Uh, and, and super terrible, especially when it comes to any books on leadership, because the truth is I don't read books on leadership. I, no, I guess what I was asking, Greg, is more like the – uh, theological foundations that would strengthen someone mm -hmm. that oh, their, oh, where yeah. their view of God would then overflow into this kind of servant form of leadership. So like a yeah. cruciform view of power, like what would be a good book for someone to read along those lines? Okay, good, good. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, a good book on, on uh, soul searching and knowing the motives of your heart and stuff. And in here, I got to say Dallas Willard is, I think uh, for me, he's just, his, uh, his book, Renovation of the Heart, mm -hmm. uh, Hearing God is excellent. Um, uh, what was the other one that he had that we, I, I just admitted I'm not good at remembering titles of books, but where he lays out that acronym. Anyways, he's got some really, really good stuff. Yeah. Good to go on that. Um, as for the, the theological foundations of the church, so, you know, there's another thing that church planners and everybody else needs to keep in mind, and that is that, that, uh, the most important fact of your life is what is your mental picture of God? Mm. And, and that, that is because we always become in the image of God that we worship. Yes. Um, and so the beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of the God that you worship. Come and, on. And, and your passion for God will never outrun the beauty of your conception of God. And I, I meet many people who, who, if you ask them what their theology is, they'll give you, oh, God is love, God is this, God is that, whatever. But what's really going on in their head is something less than beautiful. Mm. And and they blame themselves because they're not as on fire uh, for God as maybe some other people are. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that anybody who saw the kind of God that they see when they think about God uh, would have the same emotion, <laughs> yeah, or maybe even anger, uh, or maybe even rage. Uh, your your picture of God is all important. And here's where I think it's so crucial that we trust that when Jesus says, "If you see me, you will see the Father," He's telling mm. the truth. Um, mm. And, and trust you know, that, that you know, he says at, at the hour of the cross is when he most glorifies the Father, mm. uh, John chapter 12. And, and, and so to keep your eyes on God who's revealed on the cross mm. and all his beauty and to trust that that really is what God is like all the way down. Mm -hmm. the, the Hebrews 1, 3 said, said that the Son, unlike all previous revelations, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, like the shininess of God's shininess, and, and the exact likeness of his very essence. He uses this word, hypostasis, very essence. They got approximation mm. to the past, but now we've got the, the exact deal here. Keep your That's eyes so on Jesus. Uh, that raises questions I know that we can't get into here about what about the violent God that you find sometimes in the Old Testament. Um, and so I'll just throw this out. I, I uh, last year came out with two books on that topic, uh, a real academic one called Crucifixion of the Warrior God, if you want the, all the details. Uh, or a, a popular version of it is called Cross Vision. And they just came out with a study guide uh, for Cross Vision. So there's that. Yes. Too. that it helps people interpret these, these violent portraits of God through the lens of the cross 
and to see something else going is going on there. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I highly, highly recommend it. There's one last thing that I, I think I know about you, even though it's the first time we've ever met. You're an avid drummer, right? I love to drum. Yep. So I imagine when you're doing that prayer exercise and you're at the very end and now you've passed your family on to Jesus, the very last thing you give him is your Ludwig drum set. <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually be even harder now because I, I upgraded it. But last Christmas, I got myself a Christmas present. So I got a real, uh, a real nice set now. Uh, and so, um, but I, I don't think it'd be the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just calling you out, man. I know just where your idolatry is. Just before my kids, all right? <laughs> be up there. I'm your guy who starts every podcast with yourself drumming. Hello. <laughs> got it. I'm kind of sitting in there. Finding, finding ways to do legitimate drumming. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to do. Oh, it's funny. Well, hey, Greg, where can people uh, find your stuff on the internet, man? If they want to dig in, uh, where do they go? Renew.org, and that's with a K, R-E-K-N-E-W. you got to kind of relearn everything. That's sort of our motif. Um, and, and there you'll find all sorts of podcasts and essays, and we, we got a great search engine, I'm told. So uh, i got a lot of writings there and things like that. Yeah, one of my favorite podcasts is Greg's podcast. He answers questions from listeners pretty much every week. So it's kind of fun. I have a lot of fun doing it. Greg, we thank you so so much for being well, with us. Bless you guys. Today. Keep up the good work. Love what you're doing. Love what you're what you stand for. And I bless you for teaching me about starfish today. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks, Greg. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.